I haven't seen Spinal Tap. It's one of those things like I've got to, I'm dying to see it, but yeah. Are you kidding? Really? Uh, the comedy movie, right? The rock and roll doc, uh, pseudo doc or mock doc or whatever. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if he's messing with us. <laughs> I, it's, uh, I know what you're talking about. Michael McKeon and uh, Christopher Guest and yeah. um, Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer. It's yeah. like a man on the street interview now. We're talking randomly about something random. Cleveland. Turn your speakers up to 11 because it's time for Too Much Effing Perspective, the podcast that asks musicians and entertainers to relive their most Spinal Tap moments when nothing goes right and everything gets kind of weird. I'm your host, Alan Keller, a comedy writer in LA and lead singer of the least heralded Chicago band, The Falling Willenders. And I'm your co-host, Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead and lead singer of the least heralded Milwaukee band, The Vainglorious. Our guest today is comedian and actor David Cross, well-known for his role as Tobias Funke on Arrested Development and co-creator with Bob Odenkirk of the great sketch comedy show, Mr. Show. We're going to talk to David about the time Amy Mann scolded her audience on his behalf, why a security guard cursed him out in the middle of a show, and how pissing people off has just become part of his set. Without further ado, let's go to the TMEP show. It really puts perspective on things, so it doesn't it? Not too much. There's too much perspective now. Alan, there's a famous quote. You may have heard this. You can please some of the people all the time. You can please some of the people some of the time. But you can't please all the people all the time. And I think that's particularly true in comedy because it's so subjective. Yeah, I mean, nothing is funny to everyone. And some things apparently aren't funny to anyone, like the script I'm shopping now, but that's beside the point. (laughs) You know, you never really know until you try it out in front of an audience. Your contract doesn't allow you to shop scripts while you're working for team. But anyway. (laughs) um, I meant scripts like uh, I work at a pharmacy. (laughs) Right. Um, I think some comedians, their ultimate goal is not necessarily to get a laugh, right? Like our guest today, David Cross, he's gotten a lot of laughs over his storied career, but often he just likes to provoke his audiences. Yeah. He actually thrives on it, which I think is pretty admirable. You would. You've done that quite a few times in your career, haven't you, Chumley? Well, sometimes unintentionally, but... I have to say that one of my most gratifying moments in comedy was a sketch I wrote at Second City in Chicago that, if you're judging by laughter and applause, it flat out bombed. Tell us about that. All right, well, it was called It's After 11 p.m., Parents, Do You Know Where Your Martyr Is? And it was kind of a Leave it to Beaver parody about a suicide bomber who was supposed to bomb civilians but forgot and his parents were shaming him for coming home, quote unquote, safe and sound. Now, what made it particularly uncomfortable was it was just a couple months after 9-11 and people were really raw. And, you know, if you're writing comedy at the time, it was pretty unavoidable to address this and to figure out how to turn the tragedy into humor, you know, basically as a gasket to blow off steam. Right. And, you know, that sketch ended up getting like sporadic, really 
tight laughter throughout it. Mm. And when it was done, nothing. You could you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> But it got oh, people talking about this new world where regular people were being turned into soldiers. Isn't Gilbert Godfrey known for making the first post 9-11 joke? Yeah, and it was a huge relief. You know, and then I think this, huh. The Onion came out with an incredible edition full of 9-11 stuff. And, and I think Saturday Night Live broadcast that weekend. I mean, America needed a laugh. And, you know, I'm not saying my sketch was on par of that, but it was really... Well, yeah, you are. You are actually saying that. It was actually better than any of those things. <laughs> but I got to tell you, there's a really funny, almost tragic component to this story is that for the sketch, I had a prop guy make up a bomb vest and mm. had an LED light that was blinking and it would tick down as a countdown, much like our Tap 11 countdown that uh, we just released a couple weeks ago. Anyway, so on my way to rehearsal one day, and again, I'm talking about this is maybe January 2002, right? Mm. And so on the way to rehearsal once, this bomb prop, which was live, you know, it was blinking, was on the passenger seat of my car. And I made a U-turn to park and I was pulled over by the police. Oh, no. And at the last second, I see that the bomb and I'm like, holy shit. And I threw my coat over it. And if I hadn't done that, honestly, they would have shut down downtown Chicago in a second. It would have been a Spinal Tap moment because it would have been funny in retrospect, but not funny for my years that I spent at Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> That's an effing perspective I haven't heard before. And this is a perfect moment to transition to our guest, David Cross. But first, listeners, please tell us what you like and what you don't like about the show. We're always working to make it better. You can email us at hello at tmepshow.com. We love hearing from you. We'll be right back after a short break. And now our chat with a man about whom Larry the Cable Guy said only earns one laugh every 12 minutes because he's too busy demonstrating how much smarter he is than his audience. Comedian David Cross. David, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, you have a really interesting connection with Christopher Guest. He gave you one of your first big breaks, didn't he? Yes, he cast me in Waiting for Guffman. Yeah, which was thrilling and exciting and flattering and overwhelming all at once. It was really cool. It was one of my first things, and it was just so cool to be a part of that, you know? He discovered you more or less from your really funny bit as uh, as O.J. Simpson's valet, right, on the old Joe Frank radio show. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, that tape was, and this is back when there were tapes, that tape was circulating around. This won't mean anything to anybody under 30 years old, but <laughs> back, in, back in the old days, that's what you did. You actually either had videotapes or audio tapes. And yeah, it kind of ran around Hollywood amongst other places and Joe Frank fans who are many and he wanted to meet the guy who did that. And, and when you see me compared to the actual character, it's a bit jarring. You wouldn't <laughs> expect like a whatever, however old I was then, 30 something white guy. Oh, totally. What did he expect? Do you know? I don't know. Somebody sent him like a headshot or something. So he wasn't 
shocked not to see like a six foot three black man in his office. <laughs> I hadn't done anything yet, so nobody really knew. I think maybe, gosh, I don't even. Mister Show might have been on the very first season, which nobody watched. So who knows? You know, someone else with whom you've collaborated, who's close to home for me is Patterson Hood from Drive-By Truckers, was in The Dark Divide with you. Yeah. He is my backdoor neighbor here in Portland. Really? You have anal sex, or <laughs> what, what are you, is that a euphemism? Or Well, you know, I mean, look, we don't share that publicly, but... Uh, well, you just did. You yeah. just did. And it is through a picket fence, so it's full of splinters. It's awful. <laughs> exactly. Hey, want to loop this whole thing right in full circle? Please do. Uh, I was with Parker Posey when we were shooting Waiting for Guffman. Uh, we were all based out of Austin, Texas. And on a day off, Parker and I went to this flea market thing that they had somewhere off of 6th Street and Red River Road, whatever. And there was a prototypical little old lady, sweet little old lady, selling some crafts that she had made, you know, what do you, needlepoint, small little thing uh, that you put on your <laughs> door or whatever. And it's like, backdoor friends are the best. And, and so I had that <laughs> hanging up for quite a while. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I met it in the literal sense. There is truly a gate between our true backyards. And in fact, Patterson's kids walk through our gate in the morning to head to school. Oh, don't, you, you don't have to take that, Alex. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> fuck that. That's bullshit. Please tell Patterson I said hello. And uh, I, will. Um, I hope he enjoyed his time and the end result on that movie. You've toured the way the bands tour with your stand-up and things like that. Can you share a, a Spinal Tap moment from one of your stand-up tours? I've had, it's not necessarily Spinal Tap-ish, but I had uh, two tours ago on the Making America Great Again tour, I really got more consistent walkouts than I had before. And I'd say not every show, but certainly close to every show had somebody walking out and sometimes it's quiet and they just leave sometimes they make a stink got to the point where I had a signal with my tour manager who'd be on the, in the wings and it would be if I asked for a certain beer I had a couple different beers and if I asked for a certain one it meant there's not going to be an encore there's a hostile uh, hostile people and I am going to get the fuck out of here put my stuff over by the side door stage door and then I'd go thanks and I grab my stuff and I run to the tour bus or I run to the hotel. And I mean, run, I run. And one time I was at Carnegie Mellon outside of Pittsburgh. And there was um, some of these places, there's a bit of a scam with the unions and the Teamsters where you have to hire them. I mean, I'm a comic. I don't need to sound check, but you got to pay for this shit and you got to pay for X amount of this and that. And one of the things is security. So this theater I was at, you have two security guys on either side of the stage in the front. And it's not the biggest theater either. It's on the smaller side. It's like, I want to say 1,200, 1,400. 
And so, you know, they have the windbreakers on that say security in the back. I've been on stage for probably 17, 20 minutes at that point, And I start getting into uh, this stuff about Trump. And I mean, I'm barely into it <laughs> of what's going to be in <laughs> another 20 minutes or so. And this guy, all of a sudden, perfect timing to the point where literally everybody thought it was a bit. He was a plant, which I've done before. I've had <laughs> people planted from the beginning of a show whatever, I can't remember what I said. And he's like, this is fucking bullshit. I fucking quit. And he yells, <laughs> screaming, and he's walking up the aisle. And then he slams open the door so all this light floods into the thing. And, and you can see he was security, and, and everybody thought it was a bit. And then it took me at least 30 seconds to convince people that wasn't a bit. That was a security guy who really just quit. He works for the theater. And then, <laughs> then it became like, okay, don't fire him. He's upset. That's fine. But don't fire him. He could have a family. He needs, you know, to work and stuff. And, you know, maybe he'll have a cooler head. When the people who have been hired to protect you from <laughs> angry people are quitting because they're angry, then it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to get to the Spinal Tap question that we have to ask everybody. Given that you haven't seen it, you can just it, yeah. imagine this. Uh, what was mm -hmm. your favorite scene in the movie that you didn't see? Um, I think when they're on the tour bus and they, uh, they're supposed to be cookies and they run out of the certain cookie that uh, <laughs> Harry Shearer wanted and it was supposed to be – it was a miscommunication and, and it's something like where uh, they mixed – they. The communication had to do with like the measurement system, uh, like <laughs> imperial to metric or whatever, and uh, and so his cookies were all messed up. Um, and then they had to pull over, and they're in like Wichita or something like that. And he has to go get gas, and they there's a a misunderstanding about gas, a thing, and <laughs> that's probably my favorite part. That's my favorite part. That's kind of what everyone says. <laughs> You're a fan of British comedy, right? You're a big Monty Python fan. Yeah. And I want to ask you if you think This Is Spinal Tap is more of a British comedy or an American comedy. I mean, I, I'm going to go take both of those off the board and say Canadian. Yeah. The SCTV world. Well, I, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was, I was thinking more of Kim's Convenience. David, a lot of bands end up losing their record deals because the management at their labels changes and the people that were supporting them um, are gone. You kind of had the same experience at IFC with your show, The Increasingly Poor Decisions of Todd Margaret, didn't you? Well, yes and no, not really, but very similar. And it happens a lot. Unfortunately, uh, I'm not the only person who's experienced this by far, but we had a show that was in the UK on Channel 4. And it was a co-production with IFC in the States. And we did the first six in the British style. It's got a built-in cliffhanger. And um, we expected that it would get picked up. But then in the interim, the head of 
Channel 4 changed and people moved up and shifted and all the people that championed the show were gone and the people that came in either didn't get it, didn't care for it, whatever the thing is. And even though we were set to go, they said no. Yes, that's a very common scenario. Yeah. And we were talking to John Langford from the Mekons. And what was the record company? Do you remember, Alex? Was it A&M. And they go to this uh, event, which is supposed to announce the new band signings. And they announced every band except theirs. And they're just standing there. They came all the way from Leeds oh, to be there. But since they'd been signed, the president of A&M had been replaced. And the new guy wasn't a very big fan of theirs. Wow. Well, speaking of bands, you've had some really cool band collaborations like with the Beastie Boys. And can you call out some funny things that have happened there? Yeah. I mean, anytime I get to work with people I admire and heroes, and especially in that world, it's always a treat. And uh, I did All Tomorrow's Parties in Cambersands in Southern England. Um, God, what year? I don't know what the year was, but uh, I was going to do comedy set, like a big one, a long one. And I'm with Slater Kinney backstage and we're really like, oh, this is going to be great. I think one of them introduced me and then it was about one of the worst sets you can imagine. <laughs> it was just brutal. Like, and people like just coming up on stage, <laughs> trying to do the set. And then, oh, I'm going to switch that because now that just reminded me of a better story, at least one that's more humiliating <laughs> so let me just say david corn and carrie live here in portland yeah we have a fabulous episode with slater kinney <laughs> they were a ton of fun oh yeah and i i've known those guys for quite a while and they're awesome so i just remember this because that wasn't much of a story um so amy mann and michael penn were touring and they would do these shows and they would have a special guest and it was quite often a comic i know Patton's done it i believe fred armison's done it I think Tig Notaro did one. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on those. But, you know, that's the idea. It's a surprise. So I went down to, I believe it was Alexandria, Virginia. And mm. I went to do the show. And they make sure nobody sees you. And you go backstage. And, and Amy and Michael, I know from that whole scene in L.A. and stuff. And so she introduces me, you know, special guest. Blah, blah, blah. Most people react very favorably. I go up and I start uh, doing my set. There's some people who are not happy with what I'm doing. And <laughs> I have been doing this a long, long time. And I've been getting heckled a long, long time. And I can handle it. I perversely enjoy it. Uh, most of the time, it's a disagreeable thing. I'm, it's part of this, becomes part of the set. And I'm happy to do it. And so I'm talking to these people. And I'm, I'm an adult. And I can take care of myself. And behind me, Amy comes on stage. And she's like, and I don't know that. And she's like, hey, this is my friend. You don't, you know, and almost like a mother <laughs> protecting her son. And I never felt younger, more vulnerable. And the, was like, Amy, I, I got this. It's fine. Now, oh now I'm goodness. the guy whose mommy came out and <laughs> scolded the. <laughs> she's tough, though. She's tough. She's tough. Look, I appreciate the sentiment. It was a very nice uh, I get where she's coming from, but it just made the whole thing feel, I felt like, because I also had to stand there while she was berating the audience about, you know, this is my friend. I invited him here. You be nice to him. <laughs> well, I got a good Amy Mann nugget. 
you know her song Save Me from the movie Magnolia? Yep. Do you know who that's written about? I don't. Dave Foley. Really? He told me that. I'm like, what? Maybe they dated like before that or something, mm-hmm. and she wrote that song about him. I thought that was that's, not I didn't what know I that. expected. Because I had heard it was written about uh, Robert Durst. <laughs> so that is quite a surprise. No, that's Your Sylvain by Carly Simon. Oh, okay. And I think you're thinking of Fred Durst, who's even scarier than Robert. I just wanted to say, I saw Michael and Amy play a John Bryan show mm-hmm. at Largo yeah. in L.A., and I loved his first record. I just thought oh, yeah. it was brilliant. And I what was that hit, Romeo and this and that. I think it was called right. Um, no, but Alan's right. That's the, the song you're thinking of is uh, Romeo and in silhouette. Uh, Romeo. Oh yeah, in uh, black jeans. Yeah, I, yeah, that's it. Heathcliff. That's it. It's it. No myth. We got to it. It's yeah, no, no myth. myth. No myth. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah, bingo. Yeah. yeah. But when I saw them together. You know, again, I was already biased as a fan of Michael's. I said to myself, he's clearly the the true talent in that couple. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that was before all the Magdalia stuff came out and all that. So what the hell do I know? John Bryan produced her. Yeah. To the the Magnolia really great soundtrack. Yeah. Hey, listeners, decide for yourself if there's a reason why Alex and I are unheralded musicians. At the end of every episode, we're going to play one of our songs. So stick around. We talk a lot about band dynamics here, and you have a great partnership with Bob Odenkirk. Mm -hmm. How do you guys work together? I mean, there's no real ego involved. I think that's important and a key element. And we both have different skill sets and things that we're better at and we both recognize that in each other and intuitively have found those things so bob can present a sketch idea or a sketch and i can go what if this thing happens and what if this doesn't happen etc etc and bob does the same with my stuff that i present and then really the rest of the time is just us kind of crafting the sketch so you know, sometimes you don't have to do that very much. Sometimes you strip 90% of it away and come up with this other thing. But there's always a little bit of one of us in every sketch. And some are, I can look at and go, well, that's a Bob idea. And uh, some I'm like, well, that's a David idea. And, um, but the end result is it feels Bob and David, you know? Yeah, I think it's important that if the end goal is the, the best sketch, not my input in the sketch. Oh, for sure. David, can you say a couple of words about your special and let people know where to find out more about it and about you and you know your ongoing projects? Yeah, I have a special called I'm From the Future on my website, officialdavidcross.com, and you can go see it there. Uh, it'll live there forever, officialdavidcross.com, which has all my links to all that kind of stuff. Super. Thanks so much for being with us. Really a lot of fun. Absolutely. Alex, I have to say that that interview with David Cross was kind of a spinal tap moment for me. Hmm. What do you mean? I I felt really bad about it. And it has nothing to do with David because he was hysterical. But, you know, I consider myself a sharp guy. 
And every time he said something that was joking around, and maybe the listeners will sense this, is that I was totally caught off guard. I mean, when he said he hadn't seen the movie, I was like, you haven't seen the movie? I, I mean, like, <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> yeah, I, I fell for it too. And then we asked him for a Spinal Tap moment. He starts riffing on one. You know, we've seen the movie a hundred times. And I, in my head, I'm going, holy shit, did I miss that scene in the movie? I mean, like, it was pathetic. I mean, of course, we've been in COVID for two years, and I've mainly spent that entire time talking to my 94-year-old mother. <laughs> so maybe I'm not as sharp as I could be, but I mean, really no excuse. I wanted to be able to converse with Cross on his level, and I wasn't on his level. I was like a rube. I felt bad about it for days. Well, look, rarely are any of us the smartest person in the room, right? And while our conversations with our guests are not competitions, at least they shouldn't be, right. I think we have to say we got a little little outplayed by David. And frankly, it's fun and a bit awe-inspiring to get outplayed by somebody who's so good. You know, all we can do is bring our best game. I agree with that. It made me think, you know, we've been interviewing musicians, right? And musicians are very reverential towards Spinal Tap, but, you know, comedians don't revere anything. That's their job. So, it's no surprise that David was taking the piss out of maybe us, right? And it was funny. <laughs> and, you know, I actually signed up to go back and do some Second City improv online just to get my brain back because I really feel like, I mean, I didn't have COVID, but somehow I got COVID brain. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, there's no question. It's important for us to be able to think on our feet in these things, right? We do our research. We plan ahead. We're going to have to be able to parry with some of the better minds out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got to, got to, um, See, there you go. I'm freezing up. I'm freezing up. <laughs> you have to take the course with me. Well, what can we say? It takes a sharp mind to keep up with David Cross. And Alan and I both forgot our mind sharpeners at home for this episode. Thanks to David for keeping us on our toes and treating us to a lovely pedicure in the process. Speaking of sharp minds... When's the last time you watched This Is Spinal Tap? Buy it now on Amazon Prime or Apple iTunes. Too Much Effing Perspective is a Milwaukee Talkies original. This episode was edited by Gretchen Kilby, music by J.K. Harrison. Got ideas for the show? Recommendations on guests? Or maybe you just want to tell us what you love or what you hate about Team App? Well, have at it. Send us a note at hello at tmepshow.com. Please follow, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at tmepshow. Finally, sign up for our mailing list on our website, tmepshow.com. Although it would be as great as having armadillos in our trousers, this podcast is not affiliated with This Is Spinal Tap, and no person or entity connected with the film has sponsored or endorsed its content. This podcast is not affiliated, sponsored, or licensed by Authorized Spinal Tap LLC or Century of Progress Productions. This is Alan Keller. On behalf of my co-host Alex Hoffman and myself, thanks for listening. And since I was such a dummy during this episode, I'm going to leave you with the song Dummy from the Falling Willendas' eponymous first album, The Falling Willendas. Dummy. So until next time, see you on Too Much Effing Perspective. Perspective.